A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Colossians. Brothers and sisters, you once were alienated and hostile in mind because of evil deeds. God has now reconciled you in the fleshly body of Christ through his death to present you holy without blemish and irreproachable before him, provided that you persevere in the faith, firmly grounded, stable, and not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, am a minister. The word of the Lord. God himself is my help. O oh God, by your name save me, and by your might defend my cause. O oh God, hear my prayer, hearken to the words of my mouth. Behold, God is my helper, the Lord sustains my life. Freely will I offer you sacrifice. I will praise your name, O Lord, for its goodness. Sancti Vangeli secundum Lucam. While Jesus was going through a field of grain on a Sabbath, his disciples were picking the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and eating them. Some Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them in reply, have you not read what David did when he and those who were with him were hungry? How he went into the house of God, took the bread of offering, which only the priest could lawfully eat, ate it, and shared it with his companions? Then he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Verbum Domini. Son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. God created the Sabbath 
and his work of creation. He created this day of, of rest. <clears throat> and man was called, Adam and Eve were called into this contemplative rest with God. So Jesus is telling them, he's claiming this divinity, as he said, one greater than Jonah is here, one you know, greater than you know, all the prophets, and one greater than David, who was a king and a priest, who ate this bread of offering, the showbread, which was an image of the Eucharist. He is, he is the goal. He is our salvation. He's the one we're called uh, to communion with, the point and purpose of our lives. Today we celebrate the feast of St. Peter Claver. He was a Jesuit. He lived from 1581 to 1654, and he entered the Jesuits in 1601. He went to Cartagena, Colombia. He was ordained in 1616 and worked until 1650. He was dedicated to serving uh, the enslaved African peoples that were brought uh, to Colombia, you know, to South America, the Caribbean at that time. <clears throat> at that time, I was reading there's 10,000 Africans every year uh, brought to South America. This Atlantic slave trade was from approximately 1526, so he was born in 1581, 1526 to 1867, some 12 and a half million captured men, women, and children were put on ships in Africa and 10.7 million arrived in the Americas. The African slave trade in North America was principally between 1720 and 1780. <clears throat> and well over 90% of the enslaved Africans were sent to the Caribbean and South America. And 12% died on the way. The conditions were absolutely horrible. And he had this apostolate to the black slaves. He vowed to be a slave of the blacks forever. He died in 1654. The last four years of his life, he was confined to his home. He was weak and ill and sick, and even mistreated then by those who were given to him to care for him. He was canonized in 1888 by Leo XIII and is considered the heavenly patron of all missions to the black peoples. And every year in the divine office that the priest and religious read, there's this very poignant, uh, very vivid reading about his work. It was taken from a letter of St. Peter Claver. And so when these ships would come in, he would go on board because so many people died, so many people were sick in the trans he would beg for fruits and biscuits, sweets, anything he could bring to the people. He went on board with translators and other gifts and, and his own personal skills as a doctor that he tried to acquire and try to give everyone some measure of care. And he would write, he said, the joy in their eyes as they looked at us was something to see. This is how we spoke to them, not with words, but with our hands and our actions. And in fact, convinced as they were that they had been brought here to be eaten, any other language would have proved utterly useless. Then we sat, or rather knelt, beside them and bathed their faces and bodies with wine. 
We made every effort to encourage them with friendly gestures and displayed in their presence the emotions which somehow naturally tend to hearten the sick. After this, we began an elementary instruction about baptism, that is, the wonderful effects of the sacrament on body and soul. It is estimated that he baptized 300,000 people. 300,000 people. You know, in this very stark image, these people that had absolutely nothing were suffering horribly. There's a stark image of salvation the gift, a free gift of Jesus Christ and his redemptive work. St. Paul would say in the first reading today that all of us are reconciled to God through the death of Christ. So persevere in the faith. Be grounded in hope. We have this reconciliation in the fleshly body of Christ, he says, that he suffered and died for us, that he gives us the Eucharist to share in that redemption, to be transformed. And simply put, that Christ has conquered the kingdom of Satan. And we are to work to extend that conquering of Satan to further the kingdom of God in a very unjust world at times, uh, to make those effects of redemption present in the world today. I recently read a beautiful, these, uh, I've never, I don't think I've ever read these, but when John Paul II was at World Youth Day in Rome in the year 2000, the Jubilee year, which was such a high point of his pontificate, he, you know, he spoke of it as a goal, this particular goal for him as Pope. When they had the official World Youth Day in Rome in 2000, this Jubilee year, he gave some beautiful passages, messages to the young people. He said, it is Jesus you seek when you dream of happiness. He is waiting for you when nothing else, nothing else you find satisfies you. He is the beauty to which you are so attracted. It is he who provokes you with that thirst for fullness that will not let you settle for compromise. It is he who urges you to shed the mask of a false life. It is he who reads in your hearts your most genuine choices, the choices that others try to stifle. It is Jesus who stirs in you the desire to do something great with your lives, the will to follow an ideal, the refusal to allow yourselves to be ground down by mediocrity, the courage to commit yourselves humbly and patiently to improving yourselves and society making the world more human and more fraternal. You know, he strengthens us not to be ground down by mediocrity, to commit ourselves to something great. He's the only one that can satisfy us. In his World Youth Day message for that year, you know, before the actual event, he spoke about the World Youth Day Cross, which to me is always so moving at the World Youth Day events. I think it's like 13 feet tall or something. It's this wooden cross. The young people, you know, in between World Youth Days, it goes around the world. And in a sense, it 
It holds the prayers and petitions of young people around the world, and it's brought to World Youth Day carried into some kind of stadium or something, set up on the podium or the, the stage. <clears throat> and when he gave, when he first gave that, that cross to the young people, <clears throat> I think it was in the yeah, mid to late 80s, he said, I entrusted to you a great wooden cross, asking you to carry it across the world as a sign of love, which the Lord Jesus has for mankind, and to proclaim it to everyone, that only in Christ who died and is risen is their salvation and redemption. Only in Christ. I remember being in Australia for World Youth Day, and they, they had it set up in this tent, just outside the cathedral, which was on this beautiful hill in Sydney, Australia. And that tent, people would go, it was a big tent, and just pray in silence. And it was just palpable, the power. And somehow, you know, Christ was there, I think, in an extraordinary way, and his redemptive power. And just to pray before that cross, that that's how we're redeemed. John Paul would go on to say, what distinguishes the Christian faith from all other religions is the certainty that the man, Jesus of Nazareth, is the Son of God, the Word made flesh, the second person of the Trinity who came into the world. Such is the joyous conviction of the church from her beginning whenever she sings the mystery of our religion. That's what makes us unique. God became man. That the divine and the Human were joined together in the person of Jesus Christ, the Incarnation. The history of human humanity, even though it is marked by evil and suffering, the final word belongs to life and to love, because God came to dwell among us so we may dwell in him. That he led us out of the slavery of sin and into the kingdom of God. He would tell the young people, at times we may be gripped by discouragement and even come to think that it is impossible to change anything either in the world or in ourselves. Although the journey is difficult, we can do everything in the one who is our redeemer. Turn then to no one except Jesus. The world's got like this constant circus going on around us trying to distract us from Christ. Find your strength somewhere else. Do some other path not related to the kingdom of God. Not, that's not to be your goal or your focus. That's a waste of time. There's stuff more dazzling and glittery over here. Be true to yourselves or just follow your own self-will. But he would, John Paul would say, be contemplative. Love prayer. Be coherent with your faith and generous in the service of your brothers and sisters. Be active members of the church and builders of peace. To succeed in this demanding project of life, come to listen to his word, draw strength from the sacraments, especially the Eucharist and penance. We just think about the Eucharist and penance. You know, to be regular with confession, to examine our lives, to look at what the church teaches is sin, to look at the Ten Commandments, and to be working on ourselves, not focused on others, not caught up in what's going on around us, 
but how's my relationship with the Lord? That's so vital, right? To be repenting, to be converted. We have that in one of our sacraments so we can examine our life to make changes. And then to receive the Eucharist, I mean, both are channels of grace for us, but the Eucharist especially, we receive his, receive his body, blood, soul, and divinity. How can we not be strengthened? He would give this eloquent call to young men discerning the priesthood, saying how the world needs a priest with pure heart to offer the sacrifice of the Mass. You know, so beautiful, you know, just staying in that state of grace that God can draw fruitfulness from all our lives through confession and through the Eucharist. And we have strength to work to build a civilization of love. We have the strength to address injustices. We have the guidance of the Holy Spirit that we're united together through these sacraments that we can work as his body, one body, you know, to further the kingdom of God in this world. And St. Augustine said, the bridge was not burned, but the saints crossed over to heaven. They leave us examples of generous lives transformed by Christ in service of his kingdom. May we do the same.